Hi, it's Dave. Tesla has had a crazy month. Just a month ago, it was in the 400s, and then it quickly broke 500, 600, 700, went up to $960. At the time of this recording, it's back down to the 700s. Now, some people are asking, when's the right time to buy Tesla stock? How can you accumulate a position? And in this video, I wanna share my thoughts on timing and entering a stock like Tesla. When people ask, is it too late to buy Tesla stock? I often hear this advice. They say, what do you think Tesla's gonna be worth in 2030? And if Tesla's valuation is lower than what you think is gonna be worth in 10 years, then you should buy the stock and hold it. Now, I completely disagree with this method because think about it. If you think Tesla stock is gonna be at $2,000 in 2030, and it's at, let's say, $1,000 right now, hypothetically, that's a 2x gain. If you calculate the numbers, that's only like a 7.2% annual gain per year. And as an investor in high growth companies, I want a much higher return than that. I think the opportunity with generational companies is that you can do a 10x of your investment within five to 10 years, but the key is you need to get in at the right time. A lot of investors, they totally ignore and underestimate the importance of timing. They think just as long as you're in the stock, then that's fine, you can just write it. But there are ups and downs and there are certain times that if you can get in, you can double or triple your investment than if you got in at a later time. Now, I'm not interested in giving you specific advice on whether you should get in at 600 or 500 or 800 or 300 or 1,000. I'm more interested in helping you create a framework of how you can understand when to get into a stock and especially how to identify these generational companies that can give you that 10x gain within five to 10 years. A lot of what drives stock purchases is fear of missing out or FOMO, F-O-M-O. -O. Now, I have an interesting view on this. I think there are actually two types of FOMO. One is you don't wanna have and the second one you actually do wanna have. So the first one is this mimetic FOMO, which is a copying FOMO. You look at others and you get frantic because you're wondering what is everyone doing? In this type of mimetic FOMO, you see the stock price go up and you see all these articles that Tesla's going to the moon and you get anxious and you think you'll never be able to get into Tesla ever again or a company like that. And so you just wanna buy in at any price. Now this is mimetic FOMO. FOMO. And this is the type of fear of missing out that you want to kind of be immune to. You want to be reserved and have a distance with that type of FOMO. The second type of FOMO is anti-mimetic FOMO. Now this type of fear of missing out is something that you derive internally from yourself. An example of this anti-mimetic FOMO is the sentiment is low and people are you know, not understanding a company or its financials or its product very well. But you go in and you see the financials and you see the product. You see both quantitative and qualitatively and you see that this stock is prime for a doubling within the next one or two years. And after that doubling, you think the stock can go up at least five times more the next five to 10 years. Now, this type of fear of missing out, you're like, wow, this is an amazing opportunity, doubling within the next year or two, and then doing another 5X in the next five or seven years, that's gonna be a 10X within five to 10 years. And you have this fear of missing out on that opportunity. You don't want the stock to go up too fast before you can establish your position. Now, this kind of skill is not easy to acquire, and it shouldn't be easy. Investing is very difficult, and yet it's a high reward skill if you can master this skill. And this skill has to do a lot with forecasting, kind of seeing the future before the future has actually happened. And a lot of times people get caught up in just one side of the picture. They look at just the numbers in a quantitative approach, or they look at just the product or service or the qualitative approach. But in my opinion, in order to be a superb forecaster, there needs to be a combination of exceptional quantitative skills, but also exceptional qualitative skills. And it's the blending of these two skills that separates the great investors from the mediocre ones. 
qualitatively, you're looking at the quality of the product or service. You're looking to see how much superior this product or service is compared to all of its competitors. You're looking at the owner reaction, owner feedback. How much do they love the product or service? You're looking at the superiority of that product and how well that company can defend there's that superiority against other competitors. You're looking at the execution of the company, you're looking at the leadership of the company, and you're looking at the clarity of vision that this company has going forward. Quantitatively now, you're looking at revenue, you're looking at numbers, you're looking at what kind of gross margin and gross profit this company can have. You're looking at the market size, what the current demand is, but also what can, what can that demand grow into. You're looking at adjacent markets that this company can go into and, and increase their market scope. And there needs to be an understanding of different trends and industries and companies and business. And the scope and depth of understanding, I think, needs to be quite large. Back in 2013, Tesla had about a $3.5 billion to $4 billion valuation. The stock was stuck around $30, maybe a little bit higher than low 30s. And people were very down on the company generally. The media was attacking the company, saying it could go bankrupt. But on the other hand, if you looked at it qualitatively, Tesla had a fantastic product. The car just won Motor Trend Car of the Year. Owners were fanatic about the car. The Model S drove like a dream. I test drove it back in 2012 and it blew me away. I instantly knew this car was far better than anything else in its category. There's also the quantitative approach. You look at this valuation of $3.5 billion and you think in the case that Tesla is having a hard time or is on the verge of going bankruptcy, what's the possibility of another company acquiring this company? In Tesla's case, I thought it was very, very high, probably over 90% because you had Apple, you had Google, you had Amazon, you had all these big tech companies that had lots of cash and that believed in the future of transportation and electric that were very interested in this field. And I think if Tesla faltered, they could come in and acquire the company. Tesla also had IP with their technology and the Model S. They had a great brand and trust. They had a fantastic car and they had a great factory that was worth probably one or $2 billion at that time at least. And I think all of that put together put the risk profile on Tesla as very low in my opinion if you looked at the numbers and looked at the landscape. So let's take this quantitative thinking a little bit further. Back in 2013, my thinking was if Tesla could eventually sell 500,000 Model 3s in five or six years at about 50,000 average sale price, that would be about $25 billion in revenue. And if they could get about a 10% operating margin, which would be basically about $2.5 billion in operating profit, then the market would give that company a rather high multiple off of that operating profit because the company would still be growing into new markets. So I was expecting based on that $2.5 billion operating margin for Tesla to get at least a 40 time multiple and that would put the company at a $100 billion market cap. So in 2012 and 2013, I'm working out these numbers. Now if you notice, this is a combination of the qualitative and quantitative. I see the product, I see the core of the company, the leadership. I understand Elon Musk. By that time, I had watched every single interview and read every single article on Elon Musk on the internet and anywhere. And I understand the quantitative approach. I understand the, the car market and the numbers and I understand investor psychology mentality and the multiples they give to growing companies. And then I work out all of the odds and probabilities. I say, okay, here we got a company that's worth 3.5 to $4 billion. And the odds of them failing, I think is pretty low. And even if they fail, the odds that someone's gonna acquire the company is super high. So 
on the downside, the risk is limited. But on the upside, if this company really can shrink the Model S to Model 3, which I think they could, and if they could sell 500,000 of these a year, then this company has a market cap potential of $100 billion. And if I look at the current stock price, which is like 30 something dollars, so I'm thinking, wow, this company really can do a 20X in five or six years. This is quite amazing. And so when I look at that, I look at all of the odds and probabilities and I think, this is a no-brainer. This is a fantastic opportunity to get in with low downside risk, with massive upside potential. And my mentality is you go in and you go in strong and you go in without regrets. But in order to do something like this, you do need a certain level of qualitative and quantitative skills and reasoning and analysis. And if you have those type of skills and you've developed those skills over the years, then you can reap a lot of rewards with the right opportunity. So back in 2013, I had fear of missing out, but it was anti memento fear of missing out. I didn't want to miss out on this dramatic stock rise that I thought Tesla was going to see within the next one or two years. I thought it was going to double or triple within a year or two. And I thought after that, it had a great potential to do a 5X or even higher. In my opinion, I thought a 10 or 20X within five or 10 years was very likely or possible with Tesla. And my fear of missing out is based on a qualitative and a quantitative analysis that I held personally and internally. I want to give you another example. In 2019, I also had this anti-memetic fear of missing out. I thought the Model 3 was underrated and I thought the Model Y was gonna be a raging success that would transform Tesla into a cash cow, into a profit machine. And the sentiment at the time was very low. Tesla was going through ramp difficulties and profitability difficulties. But I figured if Tesla could actually reach a full production of Model 3 and successfully ramp that, that that could cover their operating expenses. And so quantitatively, I looked at if you took Model S, X, and 3, and they were able to come up with a $25 billion revenue per year off of those three vehicles. And let's say you did a conservative gross margin of 20%, that would be $5 billion. That $5 billion could cover their operating expenses. And so once Tesla covers our operating expenses, Model Y comes in. If Model Y sells 500,000 vehicles at 50,000 average sales price, that's another $25 billion in revenue. In other words, Tesla can go from $25 billion in revenue to $50 billion in revenue just with the Model Y. Let's say you take a conservative 20% gross margin on Model Y. Now that's $5 billion in gross profit. That gross profit can go almost directly into net income because as Tesla ramps a Model Y, they're not necessarily ramping their operating expenses that much because the expenses that are accrued with Model Y production go into their cost of goods. That's why when you look at Model 3 ramp, when Tesla went from zero Model 3s to five or six or 7,000 Model 3s a week, their operating expenses didn't go up barely at all. That's the amazing thing as Tesla, as a very lean company. And I think Tesla in a lot of ways is underrated regarding their profitability potential. People think, and they have this misunderstanding that as Tesla ramps their cars, that they're gonna accrue all these crazy operating expenses and that they're gonna continue to bleed money. But that's not the case. With new vehicles and new cars, this gross profit that they accrue is gonna go almost directly into profit. And back in 2019, I was writing articles about this and explaining why I thought that there was gonna be another reset, a, a valuation increase in Tesla because people will eventually realize what Tesla is and the cash cow potential that Tesla has. So in 2019, I had a fear of missing out. I had an anti-memetic fear of missing out. Meaning while sentiment was pretty low on Tesla and lots of people didn't understand exactly what Tesla company was and their potential going forward in terms of making money with the Model Y, for me, I looked at it qualitatively. I saw Tesla executing. I saw the Model 3 and Model Y being underrated. I looked at it quantitatively with the basic numbers of what kind of revenue and gross margin and what how that would impact their bottom line and their net income. And when I put everything together, it came out 
to be a very compelling case. And if Tesla can make a $5 billion profit in a couple of years, I think investors could give Tesla a 20 to 40 time multiple off of that profit. And so I was expecting Tesla to jump to 100 to $200 billion within a year or two. And so that anti-mimetic fear of missing out when Tesla was at $50 billion or so allowed me to kind of shape my views on Tesla as a bargain for under $300. I think a lot of people have too low standards of what investing is. You know, they subscribe to these stock pickers or these recommendations from these websites or random people. And I think that kind of lowers the game of investing. The core of investing is for you to analyze and value companies. And this takes a wider range. Like it's not just about evaluating one company or even 10 companies. Sometimes it could be dozens and hundreds of companies across many, many industries. And the idea is you're looking for that company that's severely undervalued but has massive gross potential and that has a large margin of safety, meaning if you're wrong that you're not going to get burnt and the company's not going to go to zero. So all of these things put together, you're not going to find on a Motley Fool or, or CNBC website that some journalist recommends as the stock pick of the year or something. Oftentimes, these people are not looking with deep analysis and they're not really truly understanding on a quantitative and a qualitative approach. This quantitative and qualitative approach, I'm advocating on this channel. And that's why when I talk about a lot of things happening, I don't just go on a shallow type of surface emotional level. I'm trying to look at things objectively. I'm trying to see things both from a quantitative approach but also a qualitative approach because I think these skills need to be learned and developed. And that's the whole ethos of my channel, which is by sharing these thoughts, I'm hoping that you can also develop the quantitative and the qualitative skills and reasoning. I'm not interested in being part of the herd. I'm not interested in being a follower. I think that totally goes against the whole mentality of what a, an exceptional investor is. An exceptional investor will lead and go forward and pioneer in a new place or a new area to analyze and develop their own framework of understanding investments. And the tools of the exceptional investor are objective reasoning. It's quantitative and qualitative skills, it's breadth of understanding knowledge, and it's also depth of thinking. All right, if you haven't subscribed to this channel, please subscribe, it's gonna help out a lot. Also, please like the video and share this video with others because that also helps out the channel a lot. In the remaining time in this video, I wanna answer a few questions from viewers. This first question comes from CR. It says, I have a nine-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. I have stock accounts for them and had Apple stock for a few years for them. I sold the Apple stock a few months ago, about 4,000 worth in each account, and bought them each nine shares of Tesla stock. It has almost doubled in value. I'm teaching them financial responsibility now and will give them access to their accounts on their 20 fifth birthday. I'm hoping that SpaceX and Boring Company go public someday soon. I'll pick up that too. I think it's great that you're teaching your kids about finances and investing at an early age. One of the main reasons why I started this channel was so I could help my kids understand investing and really build foundational skills. One of the most important skills I think we can teach our kids is to evaluate and to understand businesses. But also I think it's important to teach our kids to have a breadth of knowledge across many, many different fields, but also to have deep thinking and understanding. And I think this is really challenging and that's one of the reasons with my kids I'm trying to give them a broad education where they can have exposure to many many fields to many cultures to many experiences so that their breadth of knowledge is very deep and I'm trying to help them to have a deep thinking regarding all these different areas all of that breadth of knowledge and depthness is going to help them to analyze the future to understand what's going on in the present and where the future is headed a lot of investing is forecasting it's learning to have clarity on where things are headed it's learning to see clearly how strong or how 
or how weak a business really is. A lot of conventional wisdom teaches investing in terms of being fear-driven, short-term driven is you have some profits, you take the profits. And a lot of it is just you randomly pick a company here or there. And this type of conventional financial wisdom just pervades so much of investing education as well. The next question is from Ken's 300X. Jim Chanos, Bob Lutz, and others betting against Tesla are old guard that do not get the disruption. They look to the past and project it forward. Young people get it. They're looking forward to a different future. Yeah, I'm kind of bullish on the young generation and largely because I think they're they're closer to the product and they're closer to innovation. They understand the kind of like the disruption that's going on. And on a qualitative approach, I think you do need to be a product enthusiast. You do need to understand this product and really understand the nuances of why this product is better than other companies products and how this company can defend that superiority. Some people have these random companies that they are promoting and saying they're invested in. But my question is, hey, are you really a user of that company's products? And if you're not a user, are you intimately tied and connected to the owners of that product so you can have a pulse on whether that product is improving or not improving? And are, do you have an intimate pulse on the, on the products and services from its competitors as well? And I think that's a very important element to have as an investor, especially from a qualitative approach. Approach. Sometimes I think about Warren Buffett, you know, back when Tesla was in his 30s, I was like, oh my gosh, if Warren Buffett could just buy a billion or $2 billion of Tesla stock, he would have like 25% of the company. And I was like, what a fantastic deal. Just give $1 billion and you get 25% of Tesla. And if this becomes a multi-hundred billion dollar company, this could be a huge amount of assets and resources for Warren Buffett. And so there were even a few nights I was just kept up at night where I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, Warren Buffett should really just put a billion dollars into Tesla right now. You know, Tesla was under $4 billion. I kept on thinking of other billionaires who could spare a billion dollars and just invest into Tesla. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I could just invest a billion dollars in Tesla, I would do it right away. And I would own 25% of Tesla. And that would be amazing. And I think the problem is you think that certain investors would see the opportunity, but in a lot of ways, they're distanced from the actual product and the actual enthusiast. If you look at Tesla, there was a massive revolution going on where tons of people were getting excited about the product. Model S owners were loving the product back in 2012 and 2013. And a lot of people in New York were disconnected from what was going on. They didn't understand the enthusiasm of Tesla owners. And Warren Buffett, one of his weaknesses over time is he kind of distanced himself from technology where he said, hey, I don't understand technology, therefore I don't wanna invest in something that I don't understand. Later on, just in the past few years, actually Warren Buffett, in my opinion, has opened up to technology. He says he uses an iPad regularly and he looks up a lot of stuff. Before, you know, he was kind of resistant to that. I think that really hurt his investments where he had to get into, let's say, an Apple or Amazon very late. And he just wasn't connected to a lot of the opportunities that happened in the past 10 or 20 years. I think if Buffett was more connected to what was going on in terms of the disruption of technology, he would have much higher returns. The other thing about Buffett is, while well, I think he's an amazing investor and a generational investor in that sense, where he has clear thinking and is able to see things that a lot of people aren't able to see, I think he also has to, in a way, take less risk because he's managing a lot of money that people need and are counting on him. I remember hearing a quote from him saying, there's a lot of pension funds, there's a lot of people, retirements that are invested into his stock and he has 
has that constantly on his mind, it's difficult for him to take certain high-risk investments. He needs to keep his investments kind of super low-risk because there's a lot of people counting on him. And so Warren Buffett does an amazing job doing kind of a low-risk investment strategy for you know moderate gains or so. But I think there's a whole field of investing that really isn't talked about much. You can get high reward 10x over say five to 10 years with low to moderate risk because you can balance that risk through research and through an exceptional toolbox of quantitative and qualitative skills. The risk and the challenges is you think you've got the quantitative and qualitative skills. You think you've got a winner, but maybe you're wrong. Maybe you just don't have that. Maybe the company has some fluke disaster and really goes down. So there's always risk in investing in high growth companies. All right, here's a couple more questions. To Uncle Ron says, another great video, Dave T. Been in Tesla since $25 and held during since the 2013 run because of your post in TMC, which is Tesla Motors Club. Big thanks for that. We'll be staying in for the next 10X and we'll be looking forward for your videos in each one of those Xs. Another comment from Gene Rubin Audio says, thank you, Dave, again, for keeping me level-headed. Still holding my 2000 shares since 2012. I suppose since I lived, kept calm, and held long through all the big dips, I can stay calm and keep holding as it climbs to these heights. So Ron and Gene, I want to congratulate you from holding from back in 2012 and 2013. That's fantastic. And I'm glad that you know my past posts on Tesla Motor Clubs from that era actually helped people kind of to understand the company and the potential of Tesla. Yeah, I'm a believer that if you have caught on to one of these generational companies, you know, that does a 10X, and if they have potential to do another 10X, not just potential, but a clear and probable path, to do a second 10X, then you hold on to that company because 100X is an amazing feat. Like that takes $10,000 and brings it into a million dollars. But that 100X can bring $100,000 and make it into $10 million. And I think one of the great things about getting it early is you can kind of use your low cost basis to be calm during the fluctuations that Tesla goes through. For example, if your cost basis is under $100, then who cares if Tesla is at $500 or $800? It just bounces back and forth as long as you're looking forward to Tesla's future growth in five to 10 years. It reminds me of a video I watched yesterday. Someone was saying that he exited half of his Tesla position. He bought in in the mid 250s and saw it go down to 180 and now as Tesla went up to $800, $900, he sold half of his position. And he was saying that he's a long-term Tesla holder, yet it just went too high too fast and he'd had to sell. And I looked at that, I'm like, if you really think that Tesla's gonna be kind of a long-term winner, you can really 10X your investment within five to 10 years. Another angle is you could use that low cost basis rather than to fret and to be anxious to pull your gains you could use that cost basis for your advantage you could say hey i got in low now i could just ride out these ups and downs calmly and this is my advantage it's kind of my secret weapon to hold out on the volatility and to keep my big stake in this long-term generational company warren buffett likes to say there's a ton of family fortunes that were created off of Coca-Cola stock. You know, people believed in the stock in the early days and they held their stock and then they just kept on holding it over the decades and the Coca-Cola kept on growing because Coca-Cola had some unique advantage, you know? They're marketing geniuses, right? And who knows, maybe there is something special about the Coca-Cola formula itself. But regardless, like, yeah, there's something powerful about the long-term perspective. Warren Buffett, I was watching another video saying in 1940 something, he had made some money as I think a high school student 
it was like 114 bucks or something. And he was trading in and out of some stocks. He said if he would have just kept that $114 in the S&P 500, right now he would have $400,000 from that $114,000. It's the power of compound interest, right? Over time that can grow. And that's kind of like the advantage. That's kind of a secret weapon that the long-term investor has, that they understand that investment gains can compound. And the best type of companies that can compound that investment gains are the generational companies. Those companies that can do a 10X and then another 10X and have products and services that really define an industry and really permeate and infiltrate into culture and into society where everyone knows about this brand or this product because it's like an iconic brand now. And that's where I think Tesla is headed into this iconic brand status, just like an Apple or an Amazon. Anyways, we'll see you in my next video. Take care and good luck.